well, I'll tell you, it's amazing if you just just sit there and listen or, you know, you can even just get some recordings. They're usually readily available. You can find them on the Internet, listen to them. And it's all that little background noise that you really don't pay attention to is really what's making the money, you know. Brad Cochran here. Welcome to the DSD podcast. We have today our special guest, good friend, Ken White. Ken, how you doing? Hey, I'm doing good. How are you? Not too bad. Thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, I really, um, really appreciate the fact that you took some time out of your your day to join us. You know, we've um, we've had a you know pretty diverse group of of guests on the show but you are our first spec killer the first the first and and that's pretty cool because i love specs yeah i can see why um they're popular aren't they they're getting to be more and more popular it seems like with the um kind of the shift in the mississippi and central flyway uh spec populations and the liberalization of the spec limits um, in the Pacific flyway, there's more and more guys hunting specs. And we've seen that on our end here with a a large increase in spec orders. Oh, I'm sure of it. Well, you think about that, um, even just, just a decade ago, 10 years ago, I, I, I didn't see it exploding to this point. And especially here in California, uh, you know, the duck hunting can be tough. And when you, you know, we started out with four specs out here and I think it was around 2010, it went to six and I thought, wow, that's, that's a liberal limit right there. That was plenty. And um, I guess it was around 2016, maybe it went up to 10. And with that, it just skyrocketed. Um, I think you see, uh, especially here in California, there's so many guys that just set up for specs now and with the snows and the big limit they have as well. Um, it's, uh, it's very popular. Uh, matter of fact, uh, probably more popular than I wish. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Well, 10 specs, that's gotta be the highest limit anywhere in North America. Cause I know, you know, we go up to Alberta usually every fall. Unfortunately, we're not going this year due to COVID, but um, you know, the spec limit up there is five. And I don't know if anywhere in the U S that it's um, more than 10. And, and really, I don't know of any of the States outside of the Pacific flyway States where it's 10. Yeah. I'm not aware of any either. I know in um, Louisiana, for instance, and I, I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure their limits too. And it has been for a long, long time. So they're pretty envious of us out here in California. I can tell you that. And for good reason, you know, it's, um, it's a spec paradise out here. If that's, if that's your goal, you know, it's, uh, we, we've got them. Yeah. And how much of the popularity in the, um, the increase in spec hunting out there? Um, of course, obviously there's going to be a lot of that attributed to the fact that the limit is 10 now, but how much of that do you think is because the, the duck hunting is really kind of taken a plunge? Well, I think a lot of it, again, when you can, you know, and you get to six specs, that was enough for guys to shift. Uh, and I saw a lot of that where guys were shifting, you know, and just, 
just trying to learn how and find the right places to go and target specs. And uh, when it got to 10, it was pretty much a no-brainer. Um, you know, most of the duck hunting in California, you know, the large portion of the state, it's all weather driven. And so there's really no guarantees there. And, uh, I think it was an easy flip for a lot of guys because it can be frustrating. And, um, you know, the spec hunting, they're, they're, they're moving every day and, and, you know, you're going to see birds. So you, you have a lot of opportunity. And so that, that's a, that's a big factor right there. That, and Ken, um, why don't you tell us where you live and, and where you hunt? Yeah, so I live in uh, California Central Valley. Actually, I actually live in Manteca, and um, I hunt mainly in the San Joaquin Delta. And um, But I do hunt up, up north a, a lot in, uh, in the Sacramento Valley as well. So I hunt both. They're relatively close. But that's – the San Joaquin Delta is my home. That's um, – you know, we've – I grew up out here and – that's that's what we've been hunting my whole life so it, it's it's home for me and i spend the majority of my time right here um chasing birds uh-huh yeah a lot of a lot of corn a lot of dairies in the delta isn't that right yeah um you're right there is a lot of corn it's um it's it, that's the main crop down here however like everything change um there's a lot of alfalfa now there's a lot of fruit trees believe it or not in in the islands and uh a lot of change so it's um it's impacted the the amount of birds that we get down here uh, we we just don't see as many as we used to um maybe even as you know five years ago we saw quite a few more and it seems to be um dwindling you know every year we, we get less and less birds but still an abundant amount but just you know, not that big ball that we, we used to see here. Yeah. Um, I actually was born and, and raised in Sacramento and I got into waterfowl hunting, um, in the rice country, but I remember, um, I remember many a mornings at our house in Sacramento, right along the Sacramento river, watching huge, huge migrations of, of specks and snows moving from the rice country down south into the San Joaquin Delta. And I'm talking mornings where there would literally be hundreds of thousands of birds moving. Um, that was impressive. Yeah, that was really common. Uh, you know, before all the rice decomp, the Delta actually, if you were to look at it on a map, and there was one published at one time, and if you looked at the migration for specks in general, um, it would be like a basketball-sized dot for the San Joaquin Delta prior to that um, decomp, you know, and there was like a tennis ball size for the Sac Valley and it's since flipped. So the majority of the birds now, they, they stay in the Sacramento Valley. So we just don't see the sheer numbers that we used to, but uh, it's, it's still, there's still plenty of birds here. Don't get me wrong. And sometimes it actually may be better that way, but um, I always like to see them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah sure. And and so from a geographical description standpoint, um, Sacramento is pretty much more or less kind of the boundary, isn't it, between the, the Delta and the and the rice country? I mean, you got kind of like just south of Sacramento, Elk Grove has kind of always where I've pictured the Delta starting. Yeah, I think that's or, right. Um, all the way down, you know, it, it runs all the way, you know, down into Manteca, the deltas it's you know the, the main bulk of the birds they they stick right out there in that isle 10 rio vista area that's that's where you see the lion's share 
of all those birds um, when they winter here at the Specs. Um, that's that's their home. But uh-huh. you know, more and more, you're seeing a lot of them in the grasslands, which um, you know you ne- the guys never did. They would see it uh, Specs occasionally, but more and more, there's a lot of them heading down that way too. So um, their their migration's changing slightly. And what about the whites? Do you guys get your fair share of them? Yes, uh, there's a lot of snows, and you know we we get them later than uh, Sac Valley does. But I know early on we get inundated with a lot of the Ross geese, and um, they're here. Boy, they get here in big wads, and um, they're fun to hunt. Um, but they they move on, and you know eventually they get down to the grassland area. That's that seemed to be their their main wintering area. Um, but they we we keep them throughout the year. But the big core of them is early and then they kind of spread out and like i say that grasslands area seems to be the more popular spot for them but we do kill them yeah they are fun little geese aren't they man they are <laughs> they, they are there it's you know and obviously the the illusions as well they're they're another bird that it's kind of unique to our area they they really get here and early you know they'll they'll get right outside of my town here and um, they start wintering right here at mapes and faith ranch and then um once the agricultural fields start getting cut and all the corn's chopped and we start getting some water out there they'll shift to the delta and uh boy that's impressive too there's a lot of them that that's a great story right there a comeback story if you've ever heard you know they're it's amazing and they're just such a cool goose i've always admired just not only the comeback but the fact that this is a bird that actually roosts out on the on the on the ocean you know um i don't know if you've been to the coast and watch them but they literally will fly off of these giant you know rocky islands inland and um, the first time i saw that it just blew me away you know it's unlike any other goose i've ever i've ever seen yeah, I've never experienced that. I've I've had a few invites to hunt up there on the coast late late season. I just never was able to connect. But um, I think by then, it's not that I've had my fill. I always enjoy going and seeing new country, but I just was unable to get over there. But um, they, it's it's a it's a they boy they get there thick too before they uh, you know before they head out and boy they have some great hunts. Yeah, they're just a really fun goose to hunt and. And they, there's a 10 bird limit on them too. That's um, right. And that's, that's, what's amazing. Um, you know, it, 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 at one point you couldn't even shoot them and, um, you know, and then I, you know, the cacklers, I believe you could shoot one and, and it stayed there for a long time. And, uh, you know, then they upped the limit, uh, to four, I think. And that was a big shock. And, uh, and I, and, don't hold me on those numbers, but, uh, it increased and it, it kind of followed the spec right along. And it's yep. pretty remarkable. Um, you know, cause we just didn't, we, we had them in the Delta and you would see them early and, but they just, there wasn't a lot of them. The specs dominated, but now, well, I'll tell you, um, there's a couple hundred thousand that get down here in the central Valley, um, in, in winter. It's, it's pretty impressive. Yeah. And, and no, you're, you're, right on the money um with that timeline i uh the illusions are one of my favorite birds to hunt and i was tempted the first year that the illusion season was open it was in the early 2000s i was tempted to you know head to the coast and hunt them when the limit was one um i never did but then it jumped from one to four and so the first time i hunted them was that 
that first season when the limit was four and i've i've hunted them every season since they're they're just a really fun bird to to call and watch decoy and and there's just um their their color there's there's such a wide range of color boy that's for sure yeah some of them are really light you know like a you know some of the larger races of canada's and um some of them get really dark yeah you know the cacklers especially they're you know they've got such a cool color to them they're really really dark got that kind of almost an iridescent look to them you know Mm -hmm. and you get some illusions that way but the majority of them you know they're a lot of people think they're a real small bird they're not much smaller than a speck um some of them down here uh you know we shoot it surprises me how big they've gotten and uh you know it just you know we we really was it was just a it was a cackler area forever when i grew up that's all that was out here were cacklers and you know raw snows and specks and then the illusions started in and you know you kind of just didn't know the the difference between the two until you got educated with them um but they're they're a good-sized bird and fun to hunt there's no question um it's not uncommon to have balls of you know 50 of those things just sell out and uh it's exciting yeah or being under the tornado of oh man even even several thousand of them at a time that is that is really cool yeah when that happens you just almost set the gun down and just sit there and you know enjoy because uh that (laughs) is cool it's uh it it doesn't happen often but when it does and it's typically early for us when we do get that occur but um you know we get we get fresh water out here early and that's typically the winners are you know at least the guys that are shooting them earlier the guys that get some water early and seems to really help but boy when they do that it's it's something to see yeah yeah well um i know you kill your share of illusions and you live in a great illusion area but you are known as an absolute diehard spec killer and an insanely good spec caller in the field and on the stage. So let's talk about that. Now you won the 2009 world title. Yeah, that's correct. I did. That, man, it seems so long. That's what over 10 years, right? It just time flies. <laughs> it does. Uh, yes. Boy, it does. Um, but yeah, I was, I was fortunate enough to, uh, to win that world title. There was some tremendous talent out there. Uh, well, I can tell you there, the guys uh, in Louisiana and Texas and Arkansas, there are some, boy, those guys are extremely talented on a call and just straight killers. So uh, it, it was a lot of fun to go back there and, and meet those guys and became friends with several of them. And um, yeah, it, it was, it, it was a fun, it was a fun couple of years when I was going out there just to, you know, meet guys that are like-minded and, you know, they were pretty fascinated with California, of course. And, you know, just couldn't figure out, well, there's actually specs out there. You know, I don't even know that many of them knew there were. Um, and, uh, you know, since then, some of them come out and visited. And I think they're just amazed that the amount of just the amount of birds in general we have in California. I just think a lot of people are shocked. Yeah, I mean, I've hunted all over the country and I hunt California every year. And of all the places I've ever hunted, California is is definitely one of the best waterfowling states I've ever hunted in terms of not just numbers, but the diversity of birds in California is really unmatched anywhere I've hunted in the lower 48. It's incredible. 
Yeah, it sure is. It's a melting pot, right? I mean, you can you can find most everything out here. Um, you know, with the exception of you know the big. The big heavies, we don't get those down here unless they're reservoir birds and such. But, you know, everything in between, it's it's here. And, um, you know, you may have to go find them and find certain areas. But California, it, it's, it's, uh, it's pretty diverse. There's no question. I think that's what I get from a lot of guys that come from there. They're so surprised at the amount of birds. And, and again, this is the diversity, but just the sheer number of, of birds in, in the I guess the expanse of California in the hunting areas we have, that's, that's what I always hear from. And they're just really, really blown away with that. And we take it for granted, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. I don't think many people realize, um, the sheer number of wintering pintails down there. I mean, you could take a drive through the Sacramento national wildlife refuge and see literally tens of thousands of, of pintails just from the road. Right. Yeah. It's, and that's, it, that's one of the coolest birds. I love pintail and, you know, they used to be super prevalent down here in the Sassoon marsh and, you know, in the Delta and, you know, with the limit being one now they just, you just don't see them as much, but you could always count on, you know, pintail eating you up. I think it was 99 was the last year that we could shoot three. I think I, I think I got my numbers right there and it, and it really followed that it kind of steadily declined, but you still find them, but they're just, um, you know, they're, they're, they're a grassland bird as well, right? They're down there now. I've already heard guys there. There's quite a few of them down there piled up. So, um, wow, it is. Yeah. It's really cool. Uh, I love those things. And so I've heard a rumor that, um, there is a study that, that's taking place right now on the um, the origins of the breeding grounds of the California wintering specks, and that they're finding that the majority of these birds are coming from Alaska, and numbers are stable on the Alaskan breeding grounds. It's the prairie pothole sprig that are really um, kind of in dire straits right now, and so. Um, I think that that there's um there's a push to up that limit. You guys are one right now, aren't you? Right. Yeah. Yeah, I think that is the case, and and maybe they just aren't sure how to um you know, and I, I really don't get into all of the the undertakings of it, but I, it sounds as if that's the biggest issue is that they're suffering in that region. So you know, to err on the side of caution, they want to just keep that limit down. Yep. Yeah, sense. it's it's you know I know it's hard for us and like you say you can on any given day um, even early even late in the year you can go find them and you'll see wads and wads of those things and you just think how can the limit be one um, you know and and sometimes in a state down here that's you know starved for mallards um, you know you just think what what's going on why can't we shoot more of these and um, you know so I I know there's a lot of data to back it up but um, sometimes it's hard to believe it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's talk about calling specs. Um, you know, I, I am a novice spec caller. I don't really hunt specs a whole lot. Um, but one thing I've noticed is it's, uh, it's difficult to find good instructional, uh, spec calling instruction. 
and um, you know, Canada. So it's just anywhere you look, you know, you can find um, you can find how tos and and uh, spec calling is it's it's a whole different ball game. There's there's not don't seem to be as many guys who are good on a spec call, and there certainly is a lack of information out there for the guy like me who wants to learn how to call specs and get better on a spec call. We're working on that. <laughs> ah, okay. Yes. You know, I think, um, I think the, the biggest thing with guys is, it, you know, like anything, they folks want to make it more difficult than it is. Um, I always tell guys, get out and hunt. You know, um, that's your, your best teacher is to get out there and, you know, be humbled a little bit. And it's, it's good to have someone that's had some experience, but, um, you know, I, I will say this, when I was young, I actually, I actually grew up when I started hunting, I hunted on a reservoir with my dad and we would get in a boat, Brad, and we'd go all the way across that lake. And man, you want to talk about just miserable and, you know, couldn't wait for that boat to stop felt like it was a hundred degrees out, you know, and about that time you got your fingers thawed out and you're ready to go. You had a long line, you know, 50 foot of monofilament set out all the decoys and it, it was rough, you know, um, it was rough, it, but I, I would do it every single day I could, every time my dad would take me, you know, but you know, one of the good lessons that he taught me early on was we would go out a few times a year when I was young and not bring a gun. And, uh, I never really cared for it, but Boy, that would have to... been, that would have been tough for me. <laughs> I don't oh, know if I could have done that. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I mean, I didn't have any choice. I was young at the time, but you know, he would tell me that you'll learn more in a day hunt like this. than most guys or most folks will in a several years of hunting. And so, you know, your target was, is to try to see if you could, you know, understand what the birds were doing, what they wanted to hear, and then, you know, working on your calling. So it was, uh, it wasn't my favorite thing to do, but now I look back and, well, I'll tell you, it kind of got the bug instilled in me. And I would, you know, as I got older, I would go out after the season and, you know, anyone can do this. You can go to a refuge. You don't have to have private access and you can get on specs. You can learn a lot. You know, they've got a really diverse vocabulary and, um, I think people just associate him with a two and three note yodel and, you know, that, that industry cluck that's kind of taken hold. And boy, I'll tell you, they, they do a lot of other subtleties that, that are really, really, really good. Um, they're, they're good things to use to kill geese with. And, uh, I think a lot of guys just bypass all that. So, you know, that's, that's something guys can go do. And I just don't know how many folks do that, but, um, that, that's a good tip right there. It taught me a lot. Yeah, they just, they seem to be really difficult birds to read. And, you know, when I listen to Canada's, they're, they're pretty simple. You know, you can, you can control the, the pitch and the tempo and you can get Canada's to, to do what you want just by controlling those two, um, components, but with specs, man, I, boy, I, I'm lost. I am completely lost. And I mean, just listening to live specs calling to other live specs. You know, when I compare live specs calling to other live specs to Canada's calling other live Canada's, I feel like I can understand the Canada's. I have no idea 
what the specs are saying to each other is really <laughs> kind yeah. of blows my mind. Well, you know, I, I'll be honest. I mean, it, it's funny when guys hunt with me for the first time, they're they're usually shocked as I don't blow a lot of two and three note yodels, you know, unless we're trying to break birds from far off. Um, you know, we try to like to get into a field that, uh, that, that they're used to coming into. And, you know, when, when that works out, it makes it really easy, but you know, it's, it's the, it's the other sounds that really, really count. Um, I think, you know, again, going back to paying attention to why they make notes and, and, you know, it's hard to do it, but, you know, maybe don't shoot as many and, and observe or, or don't be so quick to shoot rather and observe why they make sounds and what those sounds mean. And it, it takes a minute, but it's, they're, they're not horribly difficult to figure out. Um, but there's some, there's some notes that you can do on the ground. And I think really what you're wanting to do is, is convince them that that's where the birds are. And, you know, there's, there's some logic to it. You can watch some videos I know that are out there and you can see specs. Um, people think, Oh, look, they're greeting these other specs and, they're not greeting them, you know, they're, they're actually not wanting them in there. And those noises they're making attract more specs because they know they're guarding, you know? So it's, it's, um, it's a lot of little subtlety stuff that, that I actually do all my work with, you know, um, the, again, the two and three uh, note yodels are, you know, very, very popular and don't get me wrong. Um, guys kill a lot of birds with them, but that's just a small part of their vocabulary. So, and and now one thing I've observed and correct me if I'm wrong, but it does seem like the two and three note yodels are sounds that they make more often in the air than on the ground. Would you say that's accurate? Yeah, it is. Um, you hear a lot of squeals on the ground. You hear a lot of open notes on the ground. I mean, they 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 do. They'll yodel. They'll do it like a chirp yodel almost. It's you know if I. If I could, if I had a call, you know, of course, I don't want to blow everyone out. I'd kind of give me an example, but, but yeah, you're right. I mean, that's a flight sound and, uh, and it's good. I mean, it's a locating sound, but I think once you get them in your area and you get them turned, um, I, I usually go away from that real quick. Um, and, and I go into what I would consider what I call groundwork and finish work. And that's usually how I make my money with that. Again, I'm not saying that you can't finish birds with that. And, you know, a lot of guys go to that cluck and, and, and it works on them. But, boy, they hear that all up and down, you know, from Klamath Basin, Sacramento. And by the time to get down to me, they're beat up. They've heard everything. So you really have to um, you really have to mimic them pretty close. Um, by then, they, they've seen a lot and heard a lot. And uh, they're, they're pretty crafty. Well, I did listen to one of your sound files here um, oh, a week or two ago, and I was blown away. I mean, wow. Um, that was amazing. Amazing. Well, again, you know, I, I would love to sit here and tell you how difficult it is. It's like anything. You know, you just have to put some time into it. Um, whatever call you use, um, spend the time and find find the range in the call and you know sometimes guys like a little bit more and you know there's there's different tune calls there's you know there if you can't find a spec call that fits you these days then boy you're hurting because they're there you know they really are so um but i i kind of i'm always i'm always building calls or tuning calls that are geared for that high live pitch and to me that's where i 
do all my damage. Um, you know, it sounds good when you're at a show or you're, you know, you're at an event and you're blowing that heavy, you know, loud, you know, it, it's the 200 pound man on a spec call. It sounds cool in a parking lot and it's very impressive, but I haven't found that to work real well, um, for me. Um, again, it's each of their own, but, um, I kind of, I, I, I tend to gravitate towards calls that are pitched really high. Uh-huh. Yeah. And, you know, I think they give you a lot of the, the, especially the way I like to blow a call, it's more geared toward that bottom end and running those notes that I like to squeal and scratch and give all those little subtlety, you know, they're like little songbirds, you know, you hear some weird stuff, little bubble clucks, they, they've got, if you really stop and listen to them, it's amazing how much people don't even know they do it, it you know people look at me and go what was that why did you do that or i've never heard mm-hmm. that before and and i'm always shocked that well don't you ever listen to them you know um and and i guess folks are just so you know they're just associating with a two and three note yodel and that's about it you know yeah, and I'm going to have to agree with you on that one. I've heard Specs make sounds, and Snogies too, for that matter, to a lesser extent. Um, they've made sounds when I've been out in the field, and I can't even recognize them, you know, as as goose sounds. And this never happened to me. If I'm hunting Canada's and I hear Canada, I know it's I know it's a goose. Sure. But um, no, I've I've hunted, you know, I've hunted Specs and Snows on multiple occasions where I'm like, what was that? Right. You know. Yeah, and that's the thing. I think um, that again, more of that happens in a in a, a specs a day than the the yodeling does. And I think, especially once they're you know they're on feed, uh, boy, I'll tell you, it's amazing if you just just sit there and listen, or you know, you can even just get some recordings. They're usually readily available. You can find them on the internet, listen to them. And it's all that little background noise that you really don't pay attention to is really what's making the money, you know? And it's, it's, so to your point, yeah, you wonder what was that? I mean, I, I've blown some notes and this guy said, you sounded like a seagull right there. You just, what was that note? But man, they responded to it. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I said, well, it's just something I picked up that I, I've seen him do and I've heard him do it. And, um, and it's one of those things that, uh, you got in your bag of tricks, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so Ken White says, listen to live specs great idea i mean i i think that that's you know that's that that's the best form of of um of a call lesson you can get no matter what what bird you're calling or you're you're practicing to call um so let's talk about this old call here ah gotcha yeah cool call isn't it Oh, it's so cool. And the fact that you have these in the original packaging, I'm guessing that this is a call that was made. Oh, geez, it had to be made, Ken, back in the 70s or 80s. Well, yeah, actually, those two calls are from the 50s. From the wow. Yes. And, you know, they've been wildly popular um, with a lot of guys. And, and, you know, it was just really one of the only calls that, was available that sounded like a spec and um you know because guys would try to blow a canada call an old resident cavity and i'm going back to when i was a kid you know and they didn't really 
have spec calls, but those predator calls are what guys were able to try to mimic geese were and you know, with rather. And that's where I was introduced to it. My dad had one and that's, you know, that's where it got started for me. But I know in Louisiana, they're, they're very popular and guys use them. I mean, a lot of guys, that's their go-to call, but, um, very cool call. I, I mean, I, I've, I've killed a lot of geese with those. I'll tell you that. Um, and it's, it's very unassuming and it's, again, it's not that real high, big volume call, but, uh, you'd be surprised how they cut through the air. You know, that pitch and those calls is, it's pretty, it's pretty good. Yeah. And it's just, it looks like such a simple call, but it, it just sounds, you know, so sexy. And, um, you know, it's funny when I picked this call up and I started blowing it, um, it, it made me think, man, you know, you think about all these fancy calls nowadays. And I always kind of in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, oh, we're so sophisticated now. You know, these calls, these calls, these fancy acrylics that we're blowing are, are so far advanced from, you know, what, what our, what our dads and our grandfathers were using, but that's not the case. Um, one bit, I mean, you're telling me that this is literally this, this old here that I'm holding is the Fox coyote call model T 20. Right. And this is a call that was manufactured back in the fifties. That's right. Yes, it was. Um, some of the early, early ones were, I think, I think it may have been 50, or maybe they may have had them in the 40s, um, but I know those particular calls are in the 50s. And, you know, they hadn't changed that design at all up until Olt went out of business. So it was relatively the same um, all the way through. Um, some of the old uh, tone boards on them were a little harder. Um, they were a lot more brittle. Um, a lot of the brown Olt T20s you see are that way. Um, but, boy, they got some great tone in them. I mean, really, really good tone. But, um, you know, stock, if you were to pick that call up, you just don't get much out of it. Um, the guys, you know, I think guys kind of have their own interpretation of what they want to call modified. And I kind of came up with what I wanted and didn't really want to lose sight of the fact that it was a goose. It was a speck to me. And uh, I didn't want it to be any more than that. I didn't want it to be a big voluminous call. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it was... It fits the bill, and it's something that I always will have on my lanyard for sure. Yeah, it's a really, really neat call. I mean, it's just um, uh, not only a sweet-sounding call, but, uh, you know, I've always liked the look of, of the old calls. And there's just something about them. They're so simple, but... Um, yeah, it's amazing. I mean, you think of, yeah, they are. I mean, you think of the D2, which is another call that, you know, my dad blew um, his duck call and they were so simple, but look when those started back in the early 1900s, uh, did that guy, did Philip Holt have any idea how popular these calls would be? Uh, I'm sure he never expected anyone to be killing specs with his, you know, predator call. And uh, I would argue that it may be one of the most popular calls out there. Um, you know, even with all these modern calls and some of the extremely advanced designs that have come out, um, they're still pretty popular. And I, I doubt he ever, I'm sure he never envisioned that, but I agree with you. So on that subject of modern calls, let's talk about this new call that you and Tim Grounds worked on, the, the new super spec. 
Yes. Yeah, that was, uh, you know, believe it or not, that, that thing was in the making for a long time, or at least the, the seed was planted anyways. Um, you know, I met Tim at the Grassland Regional out here in California back in 2008, maybe. And uh, he was out here. It was the first time I actually got to meet him. I'd spoke to him several times. But uh, him and Butch Richenbeck were the guest speakers and, or, you know, the judges and such. So I got to spend the weekend with them. And I was fortunate enough to win that contest. And, man, I'll tell you, Tim just couldn't quit. He he was just blown away. I've never heard, you know, a spec call sound like that. What are you doing? And he was so intrigued. And, you know, I'm sitting there going, man, this guy's wanting to know about a spec call. I'm, I'm talking to Tim Grounds right now, you know. <laughs> He's hanging on every word. And I'm thinking, buddy, uh-huh. I want to pick your brain. You know what I mean? And um, it, it was a lot of fun. I'll tell you, he um, he was wound up. And he actually, you know, every every moment of the show that we had free time during that weekend, we'd be outside and he had his calls and and he had a good call. It, it had some limitations, but he wanted to fix it right there. What can we do? And um, <laughs> I'll tell you what, I sure enjoyed that that time with him out here. It was it was fun. But that that probably planted the seed right there. And um, I guess it was late 2017, early 2018. We were on the phone again. And I said, Tim, look, why don't we do a call? And he said, I thought you'd never ask. And I just thought, wow, that's so cool. You know, okay, yeah, I'm in. What are we going to do here? I think I've got a pretty good gut that uh, we can match up. So, um, of course, you know, we were planning on starting it and launching it the following spring. And, of course, unfortunately, you know, with Tim's accident that, uh, you know, put all that on hold for good reason. So, yeah. yeah. You you picked up. You picked up the pieces, and uh, after after that tragedy, you reconnected with Hunter. That's right. Yeah, he called, and you know we talked a couple times, and you know he just said, "Ken, um, I know Dad would want to finish this call. It would mean a lot, and he he just would want us to see it through." Are you in? I said, "I'm in. Let's go." And um, boy, I'll tell you, it was a matter of months. And, uh, you know, we just wanted to take this gut that I, you know, had kind of developed here and put it in a modern housing. So um, that's kind of what our, just, you know, our, our idea was with Tim and we would talk about. And so Hunter wasted no time. And, you know, we got, we got the parts together and, you know, we had a few uh, bumps in the road, but it did not take long. And, you know, I gave a lot of suggestions and of course, Hunter's experiences unbelievable i mean the guy's just such a wealth of knowledge with the calls it's it, it really came together fairly quick so um you know we wanted to we wanted to follow with what tim and i had talked about we wanted to build a spec call that everyone could blow and uh you know we wanted to make it the easiest call to blow but we also wanted to make it just for killing specs that, that was our whole goal we didn't want it to, to focus on anything other than that and um you know, we wanted to make sure it had all the things that, that we knew was necessary and make sure it had all that live pitch in there. And, you know, we felt like we checked the boxes. And um, so Hunter and I, um, this last winter, we went ahead and released, you know, a small batch of them. And, uh, well, I'll tell you, we were just very humbled with the response. And so we went ahead and did another small run and that led to another small run. And this is right in the middle of hunting season. So, you know, it was, it was, uh, 
it was time consuming, but um, all worth it. And um, here we are today. And uh, we're just, we're both just very humbled with the response, I can tell you. Well, you guys did a phenomenal job. Um, this call is easy to blow. And it does sound super goosey. Even a novice spec caller like myself can make it sound halfway decent. So um, props to you guys. You know, you you certainly nailed the sound. And it is a beautiful call. I might well, add. thank you. Yeah, they are. I know, um, you know, he Hunter's got a lot of ideas. And he um, he's running 100 miles an hour. And, uh, you know, if, if you left it up to me, it would have just been a, a matte black call. I'm, I'm a no frills guy, you know, but, uh, when it come down to, I got to give him credit. He, he, he says, buddy, we got to do this. We got to do this on, on the finishes and such. And so that was his department. And, and, and you're right. A lot of folks have gravitated to that. Um, you know, that some of those calls that wood calls have been extremely popular. So, um, yeah, it's, again, it's, it's been, it's been, uh, it's been fast and furious, but, um, we're uh, again we're just very very thankful that uh, it all worked out and you know again we're going to continue on and uh you know we've worked a few kinks out here and there and uh i hope we can offer more calls than we we have uh last year and even this year you know so had a few hiccups with all this you know stuff going on in the world today it's kind of slowed us up a little bit but um we'll be on track next year excellent and in the meantime, where can a guy buy a super spec? Well, you can buy them direct at uh, timgrounds.com, uh, timgroundschampionshipcalls.com. Um, you can call the shop. Uh, we also have uh, Bass Pro Shops is also an exclusive, has an exclusive color, and people can purchase them through Bass Pro. And they also picked up a few of the other colors. So um, if they're not available at the shop, um, Bass Pro also carries them. So, Okay, so those are the two... The two options, either direct through grounds calls or through Bass Pro. Right now, currently, yeah. We're working on some other stuff right now, um, other retailers. But, again, with all that's going on, um, it's it's just keeping up with what we've got has been um, – well, it, it's been – it hasn't been boring. Let's just say that. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> Understandable. Yeah, right. And now, Ken, are you hand tuning these calls yourself? Every one of them. Um, that's that's probably wow. the biggest hang up is me. I'm just so crazy and fanatical about making sure they're right. Um, but I do. I hand cut every single one of those guts, file them, and tune them all. And then I ship them back to the shop um, once I'm done. And then they they go on the you know site retail site there, and then away they go. So yes, that's uh, that's my part of the deal. And that's on top of working a full-time job. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, and that's the thing. It's um, I, I wish it was easy. It's uh, it's not as simple as just um, maybe putting together you know a set of guts and, and a wedge and throwing it together and and you know stacking them up. It is truly a labor of love. I can tell you that. Um, it, it takes a minute to build them, but um, I, I enjoy doing it, and um, and it's consumed a lot of my time, but I enjoy it. You know, and, and again, and the feedback and, and hearing some of the guys come back with the stories about, you know, I just was never able to do that. And this call has some stuff in there that I just was unable to get out of. And, you know, I, and that's probably what drives me is is hearing guys success stories. So it's just really cool to hear that. Well, it sounds like and I know you do take a lot of pride 
in the building of these calls and um you don't you don't cut corners and we can certainly relate to that right yeah i mean it's it's just what you do i i I don't i don't see a reason to cut a corner um to me you never know i mean i don't look at it this way but it's the truth you you could cut a few corners but at what expense um you you know you just first impression is your only impression you're going to get so you want everyone to pick it up and and feel like they've got a quality call and you know look if if i got a guy coming up to me it's been working hard all week and he's going to spend his hard-earned money on it i want to make sure it's exactly uh, what i would hunt with and and it's just it's that it means that much to me i just you know and any, any kids anyone that's going to come up i mean that's it's a they're investing a little bit of money in it i try to build a lifetime call for a guy so um you know and hunter it's the same way i mean that's that's just tim grounds championship calls right there um you know they, they stand behind everything 100 percent um as well as the super spec so um you know there's a there's a lot to be said about that yeah well well this call fits right in with their line of premium calls i've been a tim grounds supporter since i first started blowing a goose call um and that was whew, what 30 years ago now or so um yeah time flies right so. <laughs> It does, man. I can't believe it. Yeah, I hear that often. I hear a lot of call makers now that that'll say that they've gotten their start. You know, Tim helped them, and you know that's some of the stuff that you know. I mean, you miss about him, and you know, going back to to that weekend I spent with him and Butch. I'll tell you, um, watching those two interact with folks, um, not just the callers that were there competing, but just your everyday warrior that was going to come in and, and, and visit with them and just ask them questions. They, uh, they would spend as much time as necessary, uh, Butch and Tim. And you just miss that, you know, those guys, they, they realized that they wanted to give back and, uh, it, it was neat to see that. So, um, I, I, I kind of feel like I want to keep carrying that on because really at the end of the day, um, it's like your decoys, right? I mean, you guys could have hoarded those things and, and just done, you know, just done guys wrong by just hunting that spread and not, not sharing them with everyone. Because I'll tell you, um, as much as I want to take credit for calling and all that, if people haven't seen the new specs, the originals are awesome. And the first aces were phenomenal. They all are. But your new ones are just ridiculous. I mean, I can't believe how close you guys have the paint. I've never seen anyone do that. I mean, the other ones were all good, but these new ones, you guys took it up another level. It's just unreal. Um, you know, I this probably be unpopular, but I'll, I'll be honest with you. I don't think you guys are charging enough for them. You know, I I just sold a, a, a couple dozen that I had for ten years, and uh, they were still hunting well. You know, so. You know, I you can um, you can tell as many people as you want that <laughs> part about us needing to charge more. In fact, if you wanted to repeat it, um, by all means, feel free. To. Yeah, yeah, I think so. <laughs> you know, guys, listen up. You know, um, they're not charging enough. I'll promise you. I, you know, I've hunted under a lot of decoys, and and you know, they are a large part of our success. And you know, we hunt under a fairly significant size spread. Um, you know, sometimes up to sixty. And that's, that's probably the max for me, uh, at extreme max, but you know, even, even late in the season, we get down to as many as six and it's just amazing to watch birds finish into that, into those decoys. Um, um, you know, I, I, there's times that guys will be half asleep 
you know, the social media stuff, you know, they're checking their phones, wanting to see what everyone else is doing. And I'll glance over my shoulder and here comes a, you know, four pack that's not making a noise. And they're just locked onto those decoys. And of course, you know, you've got to make a few sounds to make it look like, you know, yeah, <laughs> well, I brought these <laughs> things in here. You guys weren't paying attention. Look at this, you know, but uh, I've seen it so many times, time and time again. They're just, um, they're, they're remarkable decoys. I, I can't say it enough. Well, thank you. Coming from you, that is, um, that's a huge compliment. Um, yeah, we, we're, we're just like you in the sense that, you know, we, we really genuinely want to see our customers be successful and, um, we're never satisfied. We're never fully satisfied with our products. So we're constantly trying to improve on it. Um, and of course, you know, it doesn't hurt to have Dave Smith on your side. So, no, uh, <laughs> he's, that is, it's, it's unreal. I mean, all of your decoys, those illusions you shared them the other day. I mean, again, all your, all of your line, um, it, they're just, I can imagine it, it must take him forever to get those things done because you can tell how much detail is put into them. It's not something that's just to sit down and get after it. I, I would love to know how many times he's crashed a mold and started over. I, I would just love to know. I'd love to hear those stories because these new specs, and I can only say the newest ones are so unbelievable. I, I'm just shocked that someone could get them that close. That's all. That's I'll leave it there. It's just phenomenal. It is with all your decoys. The snows too. I, I haven't, I haven't bought any of the new snows, but I plan on it. And that, that's another amazing decoy. Again, you know. Well, and again, thank you. And that's very humbling to hear, you know, it coming from you. Um, you know, Dave is just—he's so—he's so talented, not just in in being able to nail the poses. You know, I mean, the, everything from the feather detail to getting the proportions right and the size right. Um, but he is so good with colors. It it you shows. Know, he, can, he can look at a bird and he can see colors there that that the average person just just doesn't see. And, you know, he he'll tell you, you know, oh, this one needs some, you know, some more gold or it needs some blue. And you look at it and you're like, there's no way. Right. And then it, he adds those colors and it just brings the decoy to life. It's amazing. No question. It's amazing to watch. Yeah, I would I, I would love to watch that process. I know it's probably tedious. Uh, I'm sure it is. But um, and again, it goes back to, you know, I, I think people once they get them, once people buy them, and whatever species they're hunting, uh, you have to get them in your hands that really appreciate them. As awesome as they look in all your ads and, and, and such and on, on your online site. But when you get them and then and just not just the looks, just the durability. Again, um, I didn't baby those decoys for 10 years. I'm probably one of the worst. I, I don't double bag them. I throw them in a mesh bag sometimes. I just really am lazy with decoys. And uh uh, you know, I touched them up and prior to doing that, they were still finishing geese, you know, so um, it's the durability part that you can't lose sight of as well. It's uh, it's amazing. But you're right on the colors. I, I'm telling you, I was absolutely floored when I saw those. I, I just couldn't believe it. So, yeah, it's. Hmm. 
something else. <laughs> you know, I I remember when you bought those first specs way back when. That was the first year I believe we ever made specs back in like probably 08ish. Yes. Yeah, it's been a minute yeah. and phenomenal decoys still. You know, I almost didn't want to get rid of them, but you know, I thought, well, um, I've got these now. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, you know, redo my spread. But um, they, you know, they've been on so many hunts. It's almost like, you know, it, you didn't want to let them go. But uh, you know, they were phenomenal too. Um, it's just the little detail that he's put into these new ones, and you know, the split tail, and again, the paint. I, I can't, I can't reiterate how the paint is just, I, i've never seen anything that dead close i don't think anyone's going to be able to touch that um when you when you get birds in your decoys and you know they're there and you've got a lot of birds stacking up on you and you turn back out to look out there to see if they're still there and you can't find them in the middle of those decoys that's when you know and um they're in there you just have to take a minute to find them and and until someone sees that then they understand i mean that's why they they're so content when they get in them they i you know specs you know they're they're pretty finicky you know they're they're uh they're uh they're finicky let's just put it what it is they you know they can pick a bad decoy out really really quick well that's that's an understatement ken um when you say specs are finicky because i've never seen a bird that's so unpredictable in my entire life you know um i've seen i've seen a parachute out of the sky you know from 100 yards up drop straight into the decoys without circling and then the very next flock is flaring it you know 200 yards it's like they're scared of their own shadow and and it doesn't really seem like there's any in between, you know. I mean, with Canada's, they're pretty predictable. Kind of either, more or less, they're either going to work that day, they're either going to play, or they're not. And specs are just one extreme or the other. Yeah, they can humble you. There's no question. Um, you know, we've got an old saying. You know, well, what are you holding? You know, we, I've always got something in the bag that I'll try to find what they want that day, and. Um, whatever that pitch range is, you'll find what they respond well to. And, and some days it doesn't work. You're right. You, you know, you just have to scratch your head. But I would say oftentimes um, people just don't take enough time to get concealed um, more than any goose. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I love to hunt ducks. I mean, I, I love killing mallards. I mean, it's just, that I, well, I'll tell you, that's it's right there neck and neck with specs. I'll be honest with you. And you could you could hunt ducks in a blind with very little cover and and be extremely successful, you know. But with specs, if you're not completely covered up and blended, you're you're in for a long day. And I think a lot of guys lose sight of that. Um, they rely too much on calling and maybe their decoys. And so sometimes that when you see that, that's usually what it is. Um, for me, I, I I want specs to hunt me. And so I try to make them hunt me and, um, and hunt the decoys as well, you know? And so the better you're hidden, the the better chances you're going to have, uh, you know, killing a few birds that day. Uh, it's, it's pretty critical. And it's one, what's one step that I think a lot of people overlook is just making sure you are completely hidden because they will find, they will find you and they're good at doing it. Yeah. So, Interesting that you you made that comment about you like specs hunting you. 
uh, because uh, another phenomenal caller, another friend of ours, Bill Saunders, he says that all the time. And um, it, it underscores, I think, how important timing is when you're calling birds. Would you would you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. And yeah, and I'm sure Bill, you know, he's phenomenal. That guy's, you know, I mean, what can he say? He's Bill Saunders, man. That guy's one of the best known waterfowlers, you know, in the nation. And, you know, and it's true. I mean, he, you know, most guys and it's, and I'm sure he's probably told as many people that will ask him about that, but I, I'm not sure how many actually will listen always. You know what I mean? Um, uh-huh. Yeah, there's, there's no secrets. I mean, they'll tell you, I think most guys will, you know, look, you know, if, I, I always know, Brad, um, when, when I've got birds, I can tell, um, when they're coming, I know when I've got them sold and they don't ever flare, but you just kind of get that lift. Like you say, it's not a, it's not a hard flare. They just kind of lift and they just move out and, and it'll happen a few times. And, you know, I know it's not the decoys and it oftentimes it's a guy at the end of the blind that's either opened up his hole, you know, cause everyone wants to see, <laughs> yeah. you know, everyone <laughs> wants to watch. And, uh, I, I always tell guys, look, I know it's difficult, but I promise you, your gun will go right through that grass and you'll be able to shoot just fine. And you'll like it better when we put them right on top of you, you know, um, and for me, I wasn't a great shot. So that, that's why I really picked up calling and, and, and tried to, you know, advance it is so I could get them close, you know, make it harder for them to get out of there. And, um, but oftentimes I think that's the biggest problem is that, uh, guys are being spotted, you know? Yeah, concealment. Yeah, concealment is huge with any geese. I mean, to me, that's one of the biggest differences between hunting geese and hunting ducks is you just really can't get away with uh, poor hides when it comes to pressured geese. Yeah, absolutely. Um, You just won't have success. Um, uh, And most people ask me, you know, what's your best calling tip? And the first thing I talk about is making sure you're you're concealed because no matter how good of a caller you are, it, it's going to serve you no good that day unless you can get hidden. Um, you know, I mean, uh, some people's, you know, everyone's got their own interpretation of what a, a hunt is for them. And you know, look, I'm, there's guys that like to shoot them high, and you know, I feel I feel if they they got them in range that they've done their job. Um, you know, and you know, it, it, every hunt means something different to someone, right? Um, yeah, yeah. I, and, and I understand that, but, um, for me, I, you know, look, even shooting them on a glide at 30 to me, isn't, that's not what I'm trying to do. You know, it, you want to finish and, you know, it kind of approved like that. Um, and, and it, it may cost you a few birds, but, you know, I just don't hate them that much. You know what I mean? Anymore. I, I, I'd rather watch the, I would rather watch them do it right. And, um, you know, I think most guys, once they do it, they get addicted to that and, um, they, they try to up their game. I, I, you know, it's, it's pretty common, right? It's like golf, anything you want to be getting better. So I think hunting's no different. You know, you want to, you want to be able to do that, especially if you see guys doing it. Yeah, absolutely. I, I would certainly say, um, my experience has been that the, you know, more years I put under my belt as a waterfowler, the less desire I have just to, to kill a duck or a goose and the greater my desire is just to to actually finish that bird you know to feel that sense of 
you know, gratification that I fooled them. Right. You know, I, I brought the bird in on its terms. That's right. Well, so, you know, you grew up in the Sac Valley. Um, a lot of guys pray for storms and um, they're not, you know, they're not, they're, they're just pass shooting birds. And, and a lot of them will, will do very well. But to me, that doesn't interest me one bit at all. Uh, means very, very little to me, but, uh, and I understand, look, I mean, again, I'm not, I'm not saying it's a bad thing to do, but you know, if you asked me what my favorite conditions are, especially in California down where I'm at, look, I'll take a 60 degree day with sunshine, with no wind and they get lazy. They're docile. They're easy to kill. Um, and they're, they're lazy. I'll be honest with you. I, that, that would be my ideal hunt right there. Especially in the afternoon. You bet. You bet. And guys quit on them so early. And I think, well, you guys don't know the best hunt is coming up right now. Yeah, I wouldn't. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Well, especially if you're somewhere where there's banging going on, you know, I mean, if you're near a refuge by nine, 10 o'clock, about the time everybody's ready to pack up and, you know, and, and head home man things quiet down that's when the birds really get comfortable and start to decoy yeah it's amazing well you know we talk about some of the things you know the pressure is enormous now on these birds especially the specs with the limit right so they're getting hunted um they're getting hunted hard and i i you can ask anyone out here uh any of the guides and there's some there's some really really good guides up here in Sacramento Valley, and they'll tell you the same thing. I mean, it's it's difficult. Um, just the sheer amount of guys that are setting up and, and hunting them now, and the amount of pressure they put on them, um, and and they will they quit early. And the smart guides, a little tip here, they they don't start until noon, and they'll hunt the afternoon hunt, and uh, they do yeah. most of their damage that way. So, I think there's a lot to be said for that. Yeah, it's certainly been my experience. The more pressure there is in a particular area the 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 better the the tougher the mornings are and the better the afternoons seem to be yeah i totally agree yeah i mean hey who who doesn't like to wake up late (laughs) you know know, anymore i mean i I don't mind putting decoys out i mean I, i still love doing all that i mean i you know i like I said, I don't hate the birds, you know, and I, I, I want to, I want to go out and have a good hunt when I'm there. I'm, I'm foaming at the mouth, you know, I'm ready to go. And you know, your heart rate's going, you're, you're, you're into the hunt, but boy, if you can get out there a little later and, uh, well, I'll tell you what, it, it makes for a good day. <laughs> um, you know, not, not, not so much pressure. I, we, we just don't, we don't hunt with pressure. Uh, my brother-in-law and I hunt, we just go out there and do our thing. There's no pressure at all. We, uh, you know, oftentimes we'll leave after we shoot four or five specs and, uh, just, you know, we don't feel the need to do it. <laughs> one of the, one of the first, I, well, maybe the first three or four hunts when the limit went to 10, we, uh, we were lucky enough to, to limit out. And he looked at me and he says, Hey, remind me to carry 10 of these things out again as we walk in, you know, our property. And he was right. He's like, how many of these do you need? You know, do you need to really kill 10? And, uh, <laughs> you know, when they're doing it right, you have, a, you're caught up in the moment, but, um, more often than not, you know, we, we have a good hunt. We get a few flocks set up, do our thing and no pressure. And then we get on out, you know. And are you, um, are you traffic hunting 
mostly, or you got birds coming into you already? A combination. I think early on with the specs we're trafficking, there's so many, especially down here in the Delta um, where we hunt, there's a lot of big, big roost islands, a lot of water. And, you know, we, we don't, we don't, we, we just put a little bit of water on our property and we mainly focus on the mid to late season. So, but early on we are, we're trafficking birds and, uh, it's probably the most gratifying hunt because you're really convincing them to come into a small 400 acre piece versus a, you know, 29 or, you know, 3,500 acre ranch. And, um, it's, I, I, that, those are probably some of the funnest hunts we, we have, but, um, you know, they're not, they're not easy, especially now with so many guys, you know, hunting them. But, um, but later in the year, um, uh, when the birds start to get conditioned, um, they're, they're banging a lot of these islands pretty hard. So it, it's, you know, to say it's difficult would be inaccurate. It's just, how do you do it? You know, um, all, all the things that we've mentioned, if you put those combinations together, right, decoys and hide and, you know, and understanding the birds, it, it all comes together fairly well um, most of the time, you know. And what are you guys using for blinds? You know, it's funny. Um, we, we've we been using just a platform blind with, I mean, it is the simplest thing ever. And we, we just put it in the Johnson grass and we have stand-up blinds. I, I never really cared for hunting out of a tank, um, which is, you know, prevalent in the Sac Valley, right? And most agricultural fields, that's what guys put in. Um we, uh, I'm fortunate enough to get to do all the, the harvesting and stuff on my ranch. So I, I get to leave all the cover up and I wouldn't have it any other oh. way. So really it's, it's almost like a panel blind. Um, we just wrap it with wire and then, you know, it's permanent for the year <clears throat> and just put some conduit in there. And we literally use the conduit for, you know, to pull the blind together and kind of TP it and get complete closure on the top. And, uh, when you get to that point, and you're blended in, it, it makes it fun. And, you know, we do, we do lay out hunts too. Um, not as often as we used to, but we do at times there's, there's times when, uh, you know, that's, that's what the need is. And, um, we still, I, I still enjoy hunting out of them. Even as I've gotten older, I, I prefer to sit down on a stool and stand up and shoot, but, um, um, we still do a lot of layout hunting, believe it or not. You know, I have hunted out of a layout blind for so many years now, <laughs> Um, I'm having a really hard time adjusting to these, this new A-frame craze, you know, sitting on a bucket or a stool and standing up to shoot is surprisingly challenging for me. I shoot way better on my butt. Is that right? Oh man. It's like, it's not even close. Wow. Now see, I'm the polar opposite. I, I, for me, I struggle out of those unless I get them on the right side. Um, I just never really got fully comfortable, um, shooting out of a layout blind. And, and it, it's just probably because I've hunted out of on a bucket, <laughs> you know, sitting upright for so long. Um, but you know, the results are, are, are sometimes much better in a layout blind. Let's face it. You know, you have birds that are just really on top of you. So um, I enjoy that, but I, I would prefer sitting in an A-frame. I know they've taken off, and it's amazing to see, you know, all the companies that are making them now. I, I think Tangle Free is making one. It's really nice, that panel blind. Um, it's sharp. We actually have one, and um, it's it's good, and it's mobile. So, you know, we brush it, and sometimes we move it around, you know, different parts of the ranches that we hunt, and uh, it's a nice tool to have. 
Yeah, it's it's really good. They also uh, there's another little blind they have. It's called a 360 solo blind, which is really slick. And um, boy, you can get really hidden in that and uh, low footprint. And um, they've 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 done a nice job with their products lately. So yeah, I've heard of that blind. Never hunted out of one though. Yeah, it's pretty slick. It's it's like a little teepee, and you know you can enclose it as tight as you want. And um, you know, like say if you you've got the cover, standing stubble, you know, or corn, uh, most often Johnson grass, you're going to get hidden best in. And you find a little bit of that, and you just flat out disappear. Um, the panel blinds as well. So, um, yeah, I, I, I like sitting upright. <laughs> I'll take that. I'll take that over a layout blind uh, for me um, most any day. Yeah, I'm sure it's just a matter of getting getting used to it. You know, I I just don't hunt out of those those A frames enough, and you know. So just being a creature of habit, having hunted for two plus decades out of layout blinds. Right. uh, I think I'm just so accustomed to my butt being firmly planted on the ground. You know, when I come up to shoot, um, I've got that, that whole, you know, move, mount, shoot, flip the lids, come up and, you know, I don't even flip the lids. I just come up through the lids and I took a lot of the, a lot of the lids, um, at least they used to be spring loaded. Um, I took the bungees out of, out of all my lids. And, and so I just come sit up right through them, you know, and that way the birds don't flare off of them so bad. Yeah. That was some of the problems Uh, I had. I used to kick the lids open all the time, you know, when I was turning and calling and, you know, you've got birds coming from all different directions. And I used to have that problem a lot. And, um, I finally realized I just had the wrong blind, (laughs) you know, I got a bigger Mm -hmm. final approach blind back then. And, uh, that solved all that, but that was an early problem I had. I just, you know, they would pop open at the inopportune time and, you know, it was Jack in the box and you're, you're scaring everything before you're ready, you know? Yep, absolutely. And all I got to do is pull those, (laughs) those bungees out. Yeah. makes sense. Yeah. Well, I tell you what, Ken, um, I could ramble on and on and on. I didn't even um, get a chance to ask you about your season um, and your and your plans for this this upcoming season. So we're going to have to do another podcast um, because we're about out of time here. Okay. Hey, sounds like a deal. We sure appreciate you joining us. And, um, I really do hope that we can get together and, and do a hunt this year. You know, um, I think you'd have a lot of fun coming up here and shooting these little cacklers. I know you've, you've done it before down, down your way, but, uh, it's, it's a pretty unique setting here in the Valley, you know, with all the green grass and you bet. No, I'd love to see new country. I, I'd love to come up and do it. And, uh, I, I think we're going to make that happen. I know, I did speak to Hunter and it looks like right after the first of the year, he's going to be out right, right during that Christmas break. So, um, we'll, we'll find that window. He's, he's got a few days, so, um, we'll, we'll do that. I, I'm excited to, to get together all of us. So, um, we, you know, we can go up and down I five real easy. That's right. You bet. I mean, it's only, no, it's about nine hours or so from, from me to you, I think. And right. That's not too bad. Just a no. quick shot down the interstate. Yeah, a cup of coffee and away you go. That's right. Yeah. Well, yeah. I really appreciate you having me on. Um, uh, looking forward to doing it again. And um, like I say, maybe we can go in a little more detail. And um, yeah.
It was a good time. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks, Ken. Yeah. For our listeners who are looking for a good spec call, check out the Tim Grounds Super Spec, um, hand tuned by and designed by Mr. Ken White here. And um, it's a great call, beautiful call, easy to blow, and just super, super deadly, goosey sound to it. So uh, give it a give it a try. And again, thanks so much for joining us, Ken. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. All right. Thanks again, Brad. <laughs>